I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 24. Now, we've been waiting to get back to Mark. We're in Mark chapter 11, but that is not what we're going to be doing this morning. Um, and as you turn there, I'm going to go ahead and pray, uh, because today's sermon, uh, for me as your pastor, it is, I believe, incumbent upon me to talk about certain things uh, when they go on and they're monumental, and there has not been very many things more monumental in my life than what happened uh, about 10 days ago in the Dodd decision and the overturning of Roe versus Wade. That is going to qualify as a watershed moment, and it is massively impactful to everybody in here and everybody watching online. So I'm going to be talking about that this morning. So let's pray, and then we will dive right in. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you, Lord, that you have promised to watch over your word to perform it, that you send it out like you send out rain, and it always accomplishes what you send it out to do. It never comes back to you empty. Always your word accomplishes its purpose. And I pray this morning, that the purpose of that word would enter our heart, that we would be changed by the power of your Spirit through the gospel. Lord, that we would hear with ears opened by the Spirit. Lord, I ask for help that my tone and that my attitude would be biblical and would be filled with grace and my speech would be seasoned with salt and you would Help me to communicate this morning effectively, boldly, and meekly. Lord, we ask for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, in 1973, there was a Supreme Court decision in the United States, which we all know about. Everybody in this room has studied about it in school. Everybody's been hearing about it in the news nonstop and on social media since uh, last Friday, and that is Roe versus Wade. And I will just briefly say uh, that that decision opened the door for a constitutional right that allowed women to terminate pregnancies. Since 1973, over 60 million babies have been aborted. It is, in my opinion, and I think I have a scriptural foundation for it, one of the most barbaric and horrific things that has ever happened in the history of humanity, and that is a government sanctioning the termination of life before it ever leaves the mother's body. As modern technology increases, I think our judgment increases as we are able with 4D ultrasounds to see what the Bible already clearly teaches, and that is life begins at conception. And to define conception biblically is the moment that the sperm and the egg connect. Briefly, this is not any radical news for anybody in here, but when the sperm and the egg connect, a new genetic identity is established 
DNA that did not exist prior is now there. And it is at that moment that a new life begins. Left alone, that will be a human being. Now, let me define what I mean by that. It's a human being that moment. There are some kids up in that classroom that left alone, they will grow into adulthood. They're not done yet. Right? There are, there are children that they're not done growing yet. The beginning of that process began at conception. Now what I'm going to do this morning is something I've never done. I have talked about throughout the years as being a pastor here that abortion is wrong. I, I've said it many times. And I've briefly alluded to it in various sermons. But I have never spent an entire sermon talking about it. It may seem like a weird time to do it when Roe versus Wade is overturned. But there is a great deal of confusion over what that means. Roe versus Wade does not make abortion illegal, unfortunately. What it does do is it says the states have to make those decisions. Now, I could spend the entire sermon talking about Clarence Thomas and what he said uh, and Alito and their opinions, and I encourage you all to read it so that we're not led by the nose emotionally, which, by the way, is how most of us get led around in the world that we live in. Uh, and that, that, that includes me and my conservative side of the world, and it, it includes people on the left-leaning side of the world. It doesn't matter which way you lean politically, you, you gravitate emotionally to emotional arguments that back up what you already feel. This is just the way that we are. And, the, and recognizing that, the media and politicians in particular, they just go straight for your emotional jugular every time. And what that means is, is that facts are secondary to feels. And as a result... We've got a mess because we used to reason from facts. Now we reason from feelings, and it's not a good way to reason. Because as, we've, as you've all experienced, your emotions are all over the place. So, I could spend a lot of time talking about the constitutional part because I am a nerd, and I love all that stuff. But it is my job primarily as a pastor not to talk about it that way, but to talk about it scripturally. And I just want to say that I am rejoicing over the Supreme Court's, what I believe rightful, overturning of Roe versus Wade, because it was a terrible constitutional argument. The argument uses the 14th Amendment and conjures out of thin air a right that never existed before, and that's what the justices said recently, they basically said, this is silly. The states, it's got to go back to the states. That's all I'm going to say about it. That's what happened with Roe versus Wade. Okay. What I do not want to do is gloat or point my finger. But what I do want to do is open up the book that came to us from God and see what the biblical worldview is in regard to abortion. And the very first scripture I ask you to turn to is going to be kind of the thesis statement 
of today's message. Proverbs 24, 11 through 12, it says, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we do not know this. We did not know this. We didn't know what was going on. We've closed our eyes. We're pretending it's not happening. We are Jenny and Forrest Gump, closing her eyes saying, I'm a bird. I'm flying far, far away. If you say, Behold, we did not know this, does not he, God, who weighs the heart, perceive it? Does he, does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it, and will he not repay man according to his work? Verse 11 again, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. This verse is telling us that the life of a Christian should be one that prevents death when you see people going towards it. I'll have more to say about this. But this is our thesis. What should the church be doing about abortion? It should be rescuing those who are being taken away to death. That's what it should be doing. So, what I want to do first is I want to look at how God views life. The first place I want you to turn is Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Why is this issue so important? It is not a right-wing political... It is a right-wing political talking point. But that is not the reason that I'm talking about it. I am talking about it because of what the Bible teaches. And here's the first thing that it teaches. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. So we're in the very first chapter of the very first book. We're at the creation. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God made you in his image. Now, how important is that? Genesis chapter 9 tells us. Do you know what Genesis 9 is? It's after the flood. Noah gets off the ark. There's a rainbow in the sky. God is making a covenant promise with Noah, telling him, I'm never going to do this again. Every time you see the rainbow, just know I'm never going to flood the earth again. And in that, in that passage of Scripture, listen to what God reaffirms to Noah. Genesis 9, verses 6 and 7. God says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Whenever you see the word for or because... You, you have to know that is the grounding of the argument. Now, every parent, that sounds really fancy, but every parent in here has grounded their argument in a because statement. Mom, why do I have to clean my room? And, and the, the logic that my mom gave me was, because I said. So, because me, the mom, or the dad, said, you, the kid, get no say, you do what I say, because I said it. 
I'm your mom. I'm your dad. I get to tell you what to do, right? Every mom and dad in here say, yes, we have all said that. Now, every once in a while, my dad had a colorful commentary and would say, dad, why do I have to clean my room? Because it looks like a pigsty. That would be maybe an extra emphasis of his opinion of the situation, but the result was the same. Because I said. Now, that's just a parental way. Notice the way that God grounds the argument. He says, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed because for God made man in his own image. You being made in the image of God is the foundation of why life is so valuable. It is so valuable that if Dan Emerson sheds the blood of another image bearer of God, his life is forfeit. Well, isn't Dan an image bearer of God? Yes. But he has violated something fundamental and sacred, which is this person that did nothing to deserve it has unjustly been murdered by Dan. This is all hypothetical, of course. So Dan has forfeited his life because this other guy was made in the image of God and you, Dan, took it upon yourself to be God and take him out. Only God gets to decide when we die. Not me. Not you. That is why murder is wrong. You don't normally have to hear a sermon on murder being wrong. But the reason it's wrong is because you, as an image bearer of God, have taken it upon yourself to be God, and the other image bearer is now dead. So being an image bearer of God means that you and I have intrinsic value, not in our own special uniqueness, but in God who created us in His likeness and gave us uniqueness. Nobody's fingertips are the same. Nobody's DNA is the same. Nobody in here is the same at all. You're a a unique mix of personality and gifts and experiences And God knows every molecule of the hair follicles in your head. And he has them all numbered. You bear his image, which is what makes you valuable. Humanity's value is therefore connected to God, not the other way around. Verse 7 says, and you be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. God wants image bearers to produce image bearers. And what are image bearers doing? Bearing the image of God? They are pointing, every one of you, every day, points to a creator. Every single day you breathe, you are a representation to everybody else around you. There is a God and there is a creator. It's not just magnificent sunsets and stars in the sky at the Grand Canyon. As beautiful as it is, Nathan is way more important than the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon is a ditch that will be burned up in the judgment. 
Nathan is an image bearer of God Almighty. You dare not touch him or gossip about him or hate him or treat him wrongly. Why? He's an image bearer. This is actually the basis of all of our interaction with each other. If you ever just stop and think about it, you shouldn't be willing to be so ugly to other people. In fact, this verse right here gets rid of all racism. You can't be racist to an image bearer. Who do you think you are? You're not allowed to have indwelt hatreds of other races or cultures because it's different than yours. They're an image bearer. You're not allowed to do that. It's not, it's not, doesn't it? It's insanity. When we get to heaven, we, we are going to be like the, the, the things that we did. Stupid. And yet God wants us to go make more. He wants the earth filled with image bearers. Be fruitful. Multiply. If you're questioning whether or not you should have children, you should. That's all I'll say about that. If you can't have children, and this is relevant to today's sermon, incredibly relevant, you should adopt them. So, this is super important. God's view of life is that you, made in the image of God, are so valuable that if somebody murders another image bearer, they themselves are forfeit in their life. And pretty much every culture on planet Earth has treated murder this way. It is foundational. What else does God say about mankind made in His image? Psalms 8, verse 3. When I look at your heavens, this is David talking, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, God has put the stars in the heavens. And our technology actually makes this verse more powerful, knowing exactly how far away they are and how incredible stars and solar systems and galaxies are that God put them into place. It's the work of His fingers. The moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of Him? And the Son of Man that you care for Him? Yet you have made Him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned Him with glory and honor. David is saying, my mere existence is a testimony to the crowning glory of God that He has crowned us in His image. In comparison to the stars, you are more valuable. We happen to live in a culture that will value endangered animals and protect them and criminalize their death and fight like mad to keep the ability to abort children. The day of judgment is real. And it will be awful outside of the mercy of God and outside of repentance and outside of His grace. Okay, Pastor Steve, life is valuable. I get it. And I believe that. I believe every word you just said. But it's not really alive 
till it takes its first breath. It's not really a viable baby until it takes its first breath. It's got to be outside the womb. Says who? Certainly not Scripture. Really, if you just wanted to be scientific about it, the moment a new genetic structure is established and a new strand of DNA is formed at conception, that's a human life. Okay, but let's see what Scripture says. Genesis chapter 25. This is about Rebekah, Isaac's wife. You guys may remember this when we went through Genesis. She gets pregnant with twins. She's old, just like Abraham and Sarah. Verse 21 says, And Isaac prayed for the, to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children, the children, the children struggled together within her. Genesis 25 says that there were children in her womb. Not fetuses. Not worthless bags of protoplasm. Not, as I've heard mentioned on television, parasites sucking the life from the mother. Children. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is it this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and we preached on that. The reason I bring that up is the word children in Hebrew, or child, or uh, it's translated a bunch of different ways. There's two, yeled and haberim, uh, and it is translated for teenagers, toddlers, infants, and right here in the womb. The same word for infants is the same word for children in the womb. The same word for teenagers is the same word for children in the womb. Now, that's, that's just one verse, so you can get an idea. Psalm 139, 13 and 14. This has always been my favorite pro-life verse. I think it, to me, just totally shuts the door on any argument to the contrary from a biblical worldview, and it is David saying, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Is that poetic language? Of course it is. It's poetic language describing what God did, did and does in the womb. Knitting together life. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. God knit David together in the womb. If God is the one who has done it, the baby in the womb is known individually by God. David is using, and I don't mean this as a pun, personal pronouns. My inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. So, to me that verse says, if God knows us as an individual in the womb, 
Jeremiah, and I don't have this in our, for, I don't have this in my notes, but <clears throat> Jeremiah, uh, God says, in the womb, I, I knew you. Then it seems like that should solve and answer all the questions, but the Bible has a, a lot more to say. And this is really the meat of the way I, I want you to see how God views life in the womb. Luke chapter 1. If you all want to turn there, this one will be a longer passage of Scripture. We're going to read verses 34 through 45. This is the Christmas story. It's beautiful. And Mary said to the angel, so the angel has come to Mary. She's having the vision. And the angel tells her, you're going to have a baby. And this is Mary's response. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Joseph and I are not married yet. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Now before we go any further, do you notice the word conceived? Just, she's conceived a son and she's six months along. You notice that identity is ascribed, gender is ascribed in the womb. She's six months pregnant. Your older cousin, Elizabeth. Verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. What does that phrase mean? The fruit of your womb. Anybody want to hazard a guess? It means Mary's pregnant with a baby. Because the angel said, God's going to do something impossible. It's never happened before. It's never going to happen again. The immaculate conception, the virgin birth, the virgin will be with child, and the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you, and you will have a child from the Most High. Mary shows up, Elizabeth hears the greeting of Mary, her baby, John the Baptist, leaps in her womb. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. <clears throat> and blessed is she who believed 
that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. That is a wonderful, beautiful picture. And it's not hard to see that the six-month-old John the Baptist has identity and personhood in the womb. Everybody sees that, right? The baby leaps, recognizing that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there, and in her womb, the fruit of her womb, is Jesus. Now, the first thing that I want to point out from this verse, or this passage of Scripture is, a six-month-old baby is a baby. And I don't mean six months after being born. I mean six months in pregnancy. It's a baby. Now, some people do argue that, well, you know, if we, we only want abortion uh, before viability. Have you heard that? In fact, if you really read the original Roe versus Wade argument, that's the way it was supposed to work out. But it didn't work out that way. The laws kept getting worse. So some people say, well, six months is viable, so we shouldn't do abortions after six months, which I completely agree. But we shouldn't do them before six months either. Now here's why, and I'll, I'll be honest, I had never in my life ever considered this or thought this. But there is like a big, giant, blinking, neon, red sign in this passage that I did not see until I was pointed, pointed to it by a group I'm going to talk about later called Passion Life uh, and John, uh, John Inzer that runs that ministry. And, and it's this. Look back again at verse uh, 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country. So she's going to visit Elizabeth because the angel told her, hey, your cousin, your family member, Elizabeth, is pregnant with a baby. and She's in her old age, so this shouldn't be possible. But God did a miracle there through a barren woman. and He's, he's going to do another miracle through you, Mary. So Elizabeth, or excuse me, Mary clearly takes... This is some kind of hint that she should go see Cousin Elizabeth. And that's what she does. So verse 39, you have to ask the question, in those days, what does that mean? In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. <clears throat> we know that it's probably 50 to 80 miles or so to get there. So that maybe is a couple days journey to get to Elizabeth. But how long did this take? Let's say it took a week. This is really important. Skip down to verse 56. So we know what happens when Mary shows up. John the Baptist has his first prophetic moment and with his mom Elizabeth declaring the Son of God in the womb of Mary. There's some really cool commentary discussion on that. I may preach this at Christmas, so just I'll give you Christmas in July. But 
verse 56 says, Mary remained with her about three months. So she does what is normal in a Jewish family. The family is helping out the family. Like anybody here have a baby and have family come over, sisters and mother-in-laws and other people and help out anybody during pregnancy after all that? That's, it's normal. This is a normal thing. It's been going on forever. That family helps each other out. Mary's there helping her out for three months. Now let's do some math and some biology. The angel says that Elizabeth is six months pregnant. and Mary stayed three months. That equals six plus three is nine months. And verse 57 says, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. Well, that makes sense. All the math makes sense. The angel said she's six months pregnant. And Mary was there for three months. So go back to verse 39. How quickly did Mary get to Elizabeth? Because if she's already six months pregnant and she stays for three months, that means Mary got there lickety-split. She got there really fast. In fact, it couldn't have been longer than a week from the moment the angel told her, you're going to bear a son, to the moment she shows up and the baby leaps in her womb is at the most one week. Is anybody connecting any dots here? Do you know how big a baby is at one week old? It's still traveling down the fallopian tube. It's the size of a period dot at the end of a sentence. Jesus was in the womb less than a week old and caused John the Baptist to leap in the womb. This means that Jesus was considered the divine incarnate Son of God in the womb of Mary less than a week old. That means it's a baby. That means there isn't a moment in the pregnancy of a woman biblically that should ever be considered for abortion. Never saw that in Scripture. Definitely have seen the John the Baptist part. Never connected the math that was going on here. It's, in, it's incredible. Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, taking on human flesh, coming to save the world from their sins. John the Baptist recognized him in the womb, womb to womb. John the Baptist will later recognize him when he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They're cousins. What does this conclusion mean? There is only one conclusion. And I say this with a lot of heaviness. Abortion is murder because it is an image bearer of God in the womb. I want you to go to James chapter 4. This is another thing that 
I had not considered. James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? This is a really relevant question. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Let me just stop before I read any further. When I said at the beginning of the sermon that we are way more feely than factual, this verse is telling us what that creates. What is the source of the quarrels and the fights among you? Your own passions, emotions, are at war within you. And when I've got a war inside of me, and I encounter somebody else with a war inside of them, it is not a big leap to make a bigger war. Verse 2. You desire and do not have. So you murder. That is, to me, a gigantic leap. Because there's all kinds of things that I want that I do not have, and so far, I have not killed anyone. And yet, this verse, and so have all of you. But this verse is describing something deeper, what's going on inside of the heart of men and women. The reason murder is happening, the reason this is going on, is there's desires that go unmet. And not everybody, but some, that leads to murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. James takes this discussion on murder and turns it into something about prayer. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Why are your prayers not being answered? Because your prayers are rooted in sinful desire. You are a covetous, murderous at heart person. And this is what he says in verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity, mutual hatred with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And that, James 4 goes on, and it is... Strong words, and it's really good for us all to read. But the point that I want to make is, abortion is murder. Verse 2, you desire to have a career. You desire to finish college. You desire to, I can't do this right now. I'm not in a good place emotionally. I'm not in a good place mentally. I'm not in a good place financially. Therefore, these desires outweigh the life that is growing in the womb. It must be terminated. There is a connection with this verse, in my view, an abortion. You desire many other things that are said. The arguments that I've heard, and have I listened to some arguments over the past? I was on vacation. Yes. Was I heartbroken? Yes. 
our culture sets the thermostat of what our desires are. It is my contention and belief, church, that the reason we are struggling, and there are a lot of Christians that are like, well, I don't know, and there's different arguments out there floating around about um, God being in favor of abortion. And it's always an emotional argument over the state of the mother or the state that the child will enter into in childbirth. The baby's born into poverty. The baby's born into a drug-infested neighborhood. The baby is born with a disability. And, and it's odd that nobody steps back and says, so murder is the answer? Would that logic apply to the kids that are currently living in poverty? And the kids that are currently living with disability? Would anybody advocate for making it a better place by eliminating them? That, that is the logic that is being presented. So obviously we recoil at that. We live in an impoverished state. It's one of the most poverty-stricken states in the country. This very neighborhood that our church is in is, is got some poverty. I mean, right outside the door, I can look out the window, we go around, there's poverty all around us. Is it better that the kids that live here not exist? To not even have a chance? Of course not. Our culture, though, has set the thermostat dial that we all are stuck in the same room. And so we have grown accustomed to the temperature of the age. It's a temperature of the heart. Our heart. As a church, and as a people that follow Christ, we've got to do something about the thermostat in our heart and not just let what the culture has set to define how we feel about cultural issues. So what do we do? I want to go back to Proverbs 24.11. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, we do know. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keep watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? What do we do? The very first thing we've got to do, and this is the point, that is really important for everybody to hear. There has got to be an understanding of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that has got to be what defines the temperature of our heart. Because merely being angry and ugly, merely being, I'm going to own the libs uh, type of attitude towards people who do not yet see what I'm describing is not the way to do it. The way for us to do it and to have an attitude of compassion even towards those who are terminating, murdering image bearers of God in the womb 
the compassion we've got to have is rooted in the gospel. The same grounding of our value of life, which is we are image bearers of God, tells us, Ephesians 1.7, in Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses or sins according to the riches of His grace. Here is the glorious news this morning. If you've had an abortion, the blood of Jesus will cover that sin. If you have, as a guy, encouraged a girlfriend years ago to have an abortion because you couldn't deal with it right now, so men are not any more off the hook than women in this regard because she didn't get pregnant by herself. And if boyfriends and fiancés or husbands have pressured, which this happens all the time, you all need to know there is redemption through the blood of Jesus. There is forgiveness of sin. That means, church, as image bearers of God, on one hand we have to say, stop the murder of the unborn, and on the other hand say, we welcome every last one of you who have committed this sin. We love you with the love with which we were first loved because we too are sinners. We have to be gospel Bible people. We can't look down our nose and say, you filthy single mom, you. You dirty, dirty, unrighteous girl. Because they can feel our anger. They can feel our judgment. And what they should feel is, we stand for the truth unequivocally, abortion is murder. But we stand for redemption through the blood of Jesus. Come be forgiven of your sin. That has got to be the way that we hold truth and compassion together. What people need to hear is what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The old sins, the abortion, the sexual sin that led to the abortion. Whatever it was, behold, the new has come. In Christ, there is forgiveness there is redemption. There is change of life. The church cannot, we cannot be in a position where we look at people who've committed abortion or people who agree that abortion is a good idea and start hating them. No, we can't do that. We've got to love them. And we've got to stand firm on the truth. Christians have to do both things. There is a reason that Jesus said, the world will hate you. Because no matter how hard we try, there will be people who only want to hear, you're judging me. Which case we should be saying, I am not the judge. I am merely communicating with as much grace and love that I can that this is wrong. But there is hope. And there is forgiveness. What else can we do? 
support. And this is a criticism I keep hearing about pro-life people. And it's not true. It's not even remotely true. This is an emotional argument. But I keep hearing that people who are pro-life are not interested in the baby once it's born. This is the most patently false and ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Christians are responsible for over 2,600 crisis pregnancy centers in this country alone. Do you know who came up with adoption, foster care? It wasn't a government. It was Christians. Now, before I let all of us off the hook, I will say very sadly that I have not done a great job of communicating this in the 22 years that I've been a pastor. That is, it is imperative that we support Christian ministries that are supporting mothers who need help. There is no question that there are single moms that are 15 years old that had sex and didn't think about it one single bit and got pregnant are in a terrible situation. There is no question of that. So where are we? We, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, who are called to rescue those. We're also called to help and serve the poor. Right? Yes? So we should support agencies and ministries for at-risk pregnant mothers. We should get real specific about it. Here in Huntington, and I, I don't have all the data yet, but I know there's a place called A New Beginning in Huntington. It is a crisis pregnancy center. It is a Christian-based crisis pregnancy center. I will find out more information, and if it's a good one, we should just start sending them money and sending you and me as volunteers and find out how we can be involved. There's another place called Two Hearts in Ashland and Colgrove. I don't know much about them at all, but those are other ministries that it's also pro-life. I don't know about them a lot, so I can't recommend them as strongly as I am New Beginning, but we will find out. What I am saying to us, though, it, in order for us to live out the action as Christians, we've got to be involved to put ourselves in a place where we can help support young single mothers. And guess what that does? It opens more doors for the gospel of Jesus Christ, which, in my opinion, is the most important thing in this whole sermon. Also, there's a ministry, and I got a lot of incredibly helpful stuff. <clears throat> my printer made it look like this. It's called passionlife.org. I'd strongly encourage you going to that. That is actually a ministry that internationally is fighting abortion. It's incredible. Didn't even know it existed. Um, but it's incredible what they're doing. This is not just an American issue. This is all over the world. We, we need to not just send money, though. I, I think we need to, to go and, and involve ourselves physically with these places and look in the eyes of broken young mothers who are desperate and look at them and say, I, I'm going to try and help. I, it, it just should never be said of us that, well, Pastor Steve preached a really great sermon on why abortion's wrong. Let's go on to Mark chapter 11 and pretend that all these people don't exist out here because they do. We, we must be an advocate for moms. 
and dads to be dads, not run off and play video games. Got this girl pregnant and that girl pregnant and that girl pregnant and all consequences are off of my shoulders. Sorry for your luck, girls. That is not, we can't, we've got to get the gospel is the only thing that's going to change the temperature. And by the way, this was in my notes and I forgot to say it. We can't just rely on who we're voting for. We can't just rely on the Supreme Court because laws and governments are fickle. The culture has to be changed by hearts being changed. Not merely laws. Though I am rejoicing that Roe versus Wade was overturned. Number three, this is a big deal, but I want to say this out loud to everybody. Consider adoption or foster care. Pray about it. Think about it. Ask God about it. Rescue for the rest of their life a baby, a child. That it, is, it is a wonderful act of sacrificial love. And the last thing is, help support our storehouse. Do you know what our storehouse does? It gives food to families. Families. And I didn't talk with Trevor and Brooke before the service. I can find out. I'm not sure if we have the means to get the data accurately. But just my experience, Janet, maybe you can help me. There's a whole lot of single moms coming into the storehouse that need food. There are all kinds of open doors after the birth of a child living in poverty here in our community that we can serve and love and help. So, What I hope that you take away from the sermon this morning is that abortion is wrong because that baby is an image bearer of God. And biblically, that recognition of the personhood of the child in the womb in terms of Mary having Jesus was within a week or less. God knit you together in the womb. But the only hope that the world has is the, the hope that we are supposed to be preaching anyway, which is salvation through Jesus Christ. That hope is extended to every person regardless of what they've done. We say that. We need to live that fervently so that young single moms, dads, and anybody else can come to know Jesus. Let's go ahead and stand up. I will have more information on the crisis pregnancy centers. I will tell you if there's any millionaires in here, people on the verge of hitting the lottery or a rich uncle about to give you millions of dollars, it would be a dream to turn this building into multiple functional apartments. 
we we could do that and make it a crisis pregnancy center like the the kind that had just dream with me a little bit here at the end of the service that that you could turn the upstairs we could go build a building somewhere else and just turn this whole facility into a crisis pregnancy center that housed mothers at risk giving them an alternative to abortion and we could provide through all of the wonderful moms and dads in here life skills think think about being able to teach a young 15 year old who may struggle to read somebody could teach him how to read how to take tests how to how to do all the stuff how to sew how to cook food we could help them with schoolwork we could do all kinds of stuff courtney okay awesome Counseling, yes. Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. That would be great. Lisa Wilson? Okay. We will, we, that's awesome. We did do that. Yeah. I, I'm thinking like, honest to goodness, I'm, my thinking is probably slightly more radical, like, I would like to just create a line item budget in, where's Lee? I'd just like to create a, a, a line item budget. We're going to have an elders meeting. I, I mean, when I say we need to act, this isn't just some thing I'm saying from the pulpit. We need to act as a church. Roe versus Wade is, is I, never in my life did I expect it to be overturned. I mean, I remember being a little kid and my mom and dad did right to life and I sat at the Parkersburg Mall and people coming by and making fun and all that and my mom and dad just faithfully trying to hand out information about what goes on and abort just all so I I I feel I feel like Scrooge after he wakes up from the three ghosts and he sees the guys that he didn't donate to and he gives them uh, uh, that little note and he says uh, this includes a great many back payments that's kind of how I at the moment that that we need to just as a church with our time our talent and our treasure uh, support ministries and a new beginning is one we can do that with that would be great um, Janet that's That's awesome. Um, but man, for them, and, like, with, they would become so thankful, you know, because they stuck with us and got through their lives. They came out here with their families. Um, That's awesome. Janet.
Right. Okay. Mary. Yes, please. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. So we're going to act. Um, we're going to we're going to give. We're going to participate. We're going to act. I appreciate you all hearing. If anybody has questions, and and there could be people that are like Pastor Steve. I did not like that message at all. I I understand that and would love to talk with you um, uh, offline and love you through the scriptures as best I know how. Um, just going over what we went over today and answer questions if I can. I can't address everything in one single sermon, but um, anyway, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for what happened at the Supreme Court level. Lord, we know that you are God supreme over all governments, over all courts, over all legislative bodies. Lord, we know that history has played out ebbing and flowing in favor and out of favor with Christians. Lord, we find ourselves in a unique spot in our history and in our culture. God, I'm praying that we would not be consumed with the temperature of the room of the culture, but that we would, like Rob preached last Sunday, turn to the sim simple disciplines prayer, and fasting, and studying of Scripture, and that we would be a light in a dark place, that we would be a beacon of hope of the gospel, not wishy-washy, not bowing down to the cultural whims, but as we stand firmly, we do so with love and open arms. God, I pray you would make us those kind of people as a church. Lord, we give you glory, we give you honor. I pray that any mom, anybody in this room that's had an abortion or encouraged an abortion, God, pray that they would find the truth of the forgiveness of Jesus through his blood. He died for that sin. I pray, God, hearts would be softened by that truth. Lord, we give you praise for it today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, you're dismissed.